Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch, where we take the time to engage every square inch of God's world through the lens of God's worldview. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. I received the most encouraging, gracious email thanking me for this resource and asking if there was any way to support the work. Uh, to be clear, for those who don't know, this podcast is a part of my job description as a pastor at Taste Group Presbyterian Church. We don't really go out of our way to tie uh, the podcast to our church because we do want it to be a resource for the public, uh, not just our congregation. And also, uh, you know, what's said here represents my views and not necessarily views of everyone in our congregation or even everyone in our leadership. And that's, I think that's a good, it's healthy. Um, but anyway, that, that's why we don't want this to be tied too closely to our church. But what I'm trying to say is that the podcast is fully supported. We have uh, no plans whatsoever to monetize this or anything like that. We don't want to make money here. Uh, we just It's just a public ministry of TCPC. Uh, you're welcome. If, if you want to make a donation to our church, uh, you're welcome to uh, by going to tcpca.org. But honestly... The best way to support the podcast is just to share it with those you think would be blessed by it, and then uh, give it a five-star rating and a kind review so that it makes moves up in those uh, uh, all-mysterious podcast algorithms and more people get exposed to it. Okay, today I want to pick up a topic that speaks to a lot of folks, if not directly, certainly someone you know or love, I'm sure this will speak to, and that is the issue of religious fundamentalism. It seems like I've been having a lot of conversations lately with folks burned by Christian fundamentalist background um, who have either left the faith or are struggling with the Christian faith because of it, and so I felt led to share my thoughts on the topic. Now, when I say fundamentalism, I am not saying theologically conservative Christianity. I am a theologically conservative pastor ordained in one of the most theologically conservative denominations in our country. So the greater culture would probably call me a Christian fundamentalist simply because I hold to uh, historic tenets of the Christian faith. That's not what I'm talking about when I speak of fundamentalism. The fundamentalism I have in mind is not conservative Christianity but legalistic Christianity. There are two errors one can make when it comes to the Bible, taking away from it or adding to it. So liberal expressions of Christianity take away from uh, parts of the Bible that don't fit with uh, contemporary culture. So the miracles that don't fit with modernity, uh, the sexual ethic that doesn't fit with the sexual revolution, uh, judgment that doesn't fit with a culture of tolerance. Liberal Christianity either ignores those parts of the Bible or redefines them or in worst case scenario, simply refutes them through critical scholarship or whatever. Um, Okay, so as a conservative Christian, I would say you can't do that. You you can't redefine Christianity in a way that fits with our modern society. But there is something else that you can't do, and this error is just as destructive. You can't add to the Bible, and this is what Christian fundamentalism does. It adds rules, regulations, expectations, prohibitions, uh, beliefs, and so forth. And so both Christian liberalism and Christian fundamentalism uh, view each other as foes, but they are actually partners in this. Both 
have chosen to redefine Christianity. And in both instances, that choice proves disastrous. And what I want to do is talk about the disastrous consequences of fundamentalism because in my circles, I see this a lot more. So many people, particularly my generation and younger, are leaving what they think is the Christian faith, when in reality, they are leaving an oppressive, burdensome religion that is the antithesis of the Christian faith. So we conservatives would say a Christianity that denies the resurrection of Jesus and and the justice of God and the sexual ethic of God and so forth, this is not a Christianity at all. But what we need to admit is that a Christianity that, to quote Jesus himself, heaps religious burdens too heavy to bear is just as non-Christian as liberal Christianity. And so just a word here at the beginning to those who have been burned by fundamentalism, um, who could not bear the religious burden too heavy to bear and have left the faith. Would you consider that what you rejected is something Jesus himself rejected? Nothing made Jesus angrier than the religious fundamentalism of his day. Go check out Luke 11, verse 37 through 52, where they get upset because Jesus breaks one of their legalistic rules. And you read for yourself what Jesus thinks of fundamentalism. It ain't pretty. He gets pretty he, he, he gets angry. So if you have been hurt by legalistic Christianity and left it all behind, my first word to you is Jesus would want you to leave it behind as well. He loves you and he doesn't want you enslaved by the oppressiveness of religion done in his name. But then my second word to you would be, now that you have cast off religious restraints, where will you go from here? This brings me to our discussion today, and I want to come at it in an unconventional way. Uh, Several years ago, I was counseling someone who had been deeply harmed by spiritually abusive parents and their legalistic Christianity. And um, my, my conversations with her took place right after Disney's movie Frozen had come out. And this movie deeply resonated with her story, as it did for many. And so what I did was I used Frozen combined with a little Augustine, St. Augustine, to help her understand her story and redefine for her the Christian faith. And so that's what I want to uh, do for us today as well. Uh, Disney's Frozen. I, I know. I know you never thought I would uh, talk about Christian fundamentalism, Saint Augustine, and Disney's Frozen, but it'll make sense. I promise. Disney's Frozen is, of course, it's a kids' movie, <laughs> but a brilliant movie that really does describe the experience of those who grew up in a uh, fundamentalist culture. And I'll explain why that is in a moment. But the reason why I actually love the film is because Disney does something at the end that I did not expect, and I'll show you that as well. But first. Uh, I want to start with St. Augustine. Augustine argued, I believe rightly, that the Bible views human beings fundamentally as lovers, not romantic lovers, though that's part of it. But we are lovers in the sense that we have desires that go beyond animalistic survival instincts. We have longings for joy, uh, pleasure, purpose, acceptance, success, fulfillment, and on and on these deep hungers of the human heart go. Now, the original design was that God would himself 
satisfy these longings by being our ultimate love, joy, pleasure, purpose, acceptance, and so forth. Like the sun at the center of a perfectly ordered solar system, God was to reign at the center of the human heart such that all our desires and longings would be properly ordered and sustained by him. That's what we mean when we say that we were made for God. We were made to have God at the center of our existence, satisfying all of these deep longings. But when humanity chose to replace God as this uh, supreme focus of our desires, we became a complex mess of disordered loves. That's how Augustine describes sin. It is disordered love. Love is now chaotic. Our longings and our desires are just running around in every direction, ravenously searching for the satisfaction and order that only God can provide. Simply put, we are all extremely frustrated lovers. Now, what in the world does this have to do with religious fundamentalism? Fundamentalism is an attempt to bring order to our disordered loves by man-made rules. Religion seeks to control our out-of-control longings by suppressing these longings. Its answer to the dilemma of our desires is not God, but a weaponized version of God used to enforce oppressive rules for our desires. Okay, now let's turn to the movie Frozen, which, again, really resonated with those harmed by religious fundamentalism. If you haven't seen it, that's okay. Um, I'll explain it as I go along. Frozen tells the story of Elsa. Elsa has something magical within her. Uh, like human desire, it is something incredibly powerful, but likewise, uh, incredibly dangerous. So fearing its danger, her parents teach her to suppress it. So let me quote from the famous song here. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. And by the way, I know if you, if you know the song, you want to finish it. Uh, but hang on. We'll get to let it go in a second. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. So Elsa learns to hide, to conceal what's inside her. But the problem is that she's uh, never able to turn it off. It's always there, kind of lurking and threatening to erupt. And so her solution is to retreat all the more, locking herself up in her room away from the rest of the world, which is such a picture of uh, fundamentalist culture. So her sister, Anna, stands at the door pleading with her, Do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come out the door. It's like you've gone away. And indeed, she has gone away. She is a shell of herself. She cannot enjoy her power rightly. She can't build a snowman. She can't use her power to do something good, build a snowman, because she's too focused on keeping it hidden. So deeper and deeper, the effort to conceal goes until she is trapped within the prison of her own suppression. Again, this is a perfect picture of religious fundamentalism. The religious answer is to conceal, don't feel, be the good girl you always have to be. And Frozen brilliantly, the movie, brilliantly depicts why this will never work. 
You can work really hard at pretending and hiding behind religious rules, but eventually you will find yourself imprisoned and alone, a shell of the desirous human being that you were created to be. So not surprisingly, Elsa does what so many people raised in fundamentalism do. She can't keep playing the conceal-don't-feel game. And in the climactic moment of the story, obviously, she, she gives up and gives in to what's inside of her and triumphantly sings, let it go. It's time, I'll quote again, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. And that is the story of so many people who have been a part of fundamentalist families and or communities. The burden is too great. Jesus himself says so. And so eventually they have their let it go moment where they break out of the oppression into a world where there is, quote, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, let it go. They let it go. And what they think they are letting go is Christianity, when in fact they are letting go of a fundamentalist version of Christianity that is no Christianity at all. But to my friends, burned by religious fundamentalism, may I be so bold to ask, now what? You've let it go. You've broken out. No more rules for you. How's that working for you? Now, maybe you're still in the thrill of liberation phase and things are great, but I promise there will come a point where let it go proves just as destructive as conceal don't feel. Here is where Disney really surprised me. (laughs) By the way, it's funny I'm using a Disney movie to talk about Christian fundamentalism because Um, If you grew up in a fundamentalist home, there's a chance they wouldn't let you watch Disney because, you know, Disney's bad. So maybe you haven't seen Frozen. Go watch it now. You're, You're free. Go watch Frozen. It's not a sin. But here's where Disney really surprised me, and it's what I really love about Frozen. The expected Disney narrative would be that's the end of the story. Elsa breaks out. Let it go. Boo religion. Yay freedom. End of story. But brilliantly, let it go wasn't the answer either. Now, at first, it's exhilarating, satisfying, liberating. Elsa Elsa breaks out. She goes and she builds a castle with her power, and she clearly enjoys releasing what has long been hidden. But then something strange happens. Once again, she's all alone. She's found a new prison. The bondage of fundamentalism is replaced by the bondage of unfettered indulgence. Let me quote from a song she sings in this place. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen, a kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. Without a doubt, she enjoys indulgence more than suppression. After all, she's traded her bedroom for her own castle, but she's still utterly alone and destitute. And so Disney really captures well the other way people tend to deal with their inward desires and longings. On the opposite end of the religious answer is the philosophy of our hedonistic world. Cast off restraints, give in to what is inside. As long as it doesn't harm anyone else, then you are free to indulge whatever desire you find within. In short, let it go. 
people who choose this path will soon find themselves just as ruined as those bound to the chains of religious fundamentalism. It's a different kind of prison, one marked by excess and compulsion and dependence and addiction, but it is equally unsatisfying. And this path devastates everyone around. I, I love when Elsa decided to let it go that those she loves and the world she left behind were devastated by her unhinged power. Anyone who has ever loved an addict, for example, knows how true this is. So what we see in Elsa is the painful vanity of both suppression and indulgence. Neither the religious answer nor the secular answer is able to handle our deep and undeniable longings within. So what's the answer? The Bible's plea is to return to the original design. Return to the God for whom you are made. Let me quote Augustine again. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Don't try to suppress your restless heart, nor cast off restraints of your restless heart, but take your restless heart to find its Sabbath rest in God. Love God, friends. Love God ultimately, and your desires will be ordered rightly. But there's a problem with that plea. How does one just simply choose to love God ultimately? Love is not something we control. Love controls us. So how do we just choose to love God? We can't. Love doesn't work like that. Instead, God must love us first. God must capture our love with his love. And this is what our God has done. Elsa's sister Anna is the story's picture of relentless love. When Elsa was hiding in the room of her suppression, it was Anna calling out to her to come out and play. When Elsa was away in the far-off country of her overindulgence, it was Anna who pursued her, begging her to come home. And Anna's pursuit of Elsa would come at a cost, the ultimate cost. It's Anna who was wounded by Elsa's power. And when this happens, Elsa collapses under the weight of grief, leaving her helpless to defend herself against the sword of the story's great deceiver, Hans. Read Satan, Hans. But then, in a final act of true love, Anna jumps in between, just as uh, she turns to ice from Elsa's wound. She jumps in between Hans and Elsa, and the blade of Hans shatters upon the now frozen body of of Anna. Then, of course, Anna is resurrected. Elsa is transformed by the act of love. Olaf gets in his uh, snow cloud. The kingdom is saved. They all live happily ever after. Yes, every story, even Frozen, whispers his name. Friends, we have turned away from the great love of our souls, insulting him with our misplaced desires, desires that are now disordered and chaotic, desires we we helplessly try to suppress or indulge, desires crying out for their true and rightful end. Our disordered desires are out of control, destroying us and the world around us. Yet in the greatest act of true love, 
our God pursues us and lays down his life for us. And those who behold his great love will be transformed, will find their love reclaimed by his love. And it is there with our God who loves us that we discover what every longing was longing for all this time, what every desire ultimately desires. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. It is neither the religious suppression of desires nor the secular overindulgence of desires, but instead it is the redemptive reordering of desire that comes when we ultimately desire the one who first desired us. Thanks for listening. Um, Maybe reach out to someone that you know uh, who has been burned by Christian fundamentalism in the past and has left the faith. Maybe reach out to them and uh, send them this podcast or or even better, uh, maybe have them over for movie night and watch the movie. That, now that I say that, that might be weird for uh, some of you to get together and watch Frozen together. But who knows? Maybe have, have a movie night, watch the movie, listen to the podcast together, uh, reach out to them um, who have been hurt and apologize and show them a different way. Uh, show them what uh, Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about Jesus, his love for us, our love for him. And we will return shortly for another episode of Every Square Inch. Thank you.